I'm Krati Mehra and this is Beyond the Goals podcast. It's my attempt to help you revel in all that life has to offer without pressing pause on your hustle. We learn how to create healthier relationships, a healthier lifestyle, a career that brings us true joy and a life that satisfies us on every level. Forget the conventional ideas of success and happiness because we're going to live a life of value and create an impact that speaks to our place in the world. So let's get started. Hello and welcome back to Beyond the Goals podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is episode number 63 and in today's episode I am talking to Mike Robbins about embracing authenticity and vulnerability at work and in our personal lives and in doing so creating a safe space for open emotional expression so that we can all speak our truth live more honest lives, raise emotionally intelligent kids, and contribute to building a world that has a lot more understanding and a lot less judgment. Our guest, Mike Robbins, has been carrying on that mission for a long time now, and he has done it not just by creating content and educating others, but by also becoming an example of everything he teaches, by embodying the values, the personal qualities that he asks his audience to prioritize. Mike Robbins is the author of five books, including Bring Your Whole Self to Work and We Are All in This Together. He's also a former pro baseball player, a sought-after keynote speaker, and a media personality. He has been a guest on hundreds of TV and radio shows throughout the United States and Canada, and his work has been featured in the Wall Street Journal, the Harvard Business Review, the New York Times, the Washington Post, Fast Company, Oak Magazine, The Economist, and many others. In addition to being a guest on hundreds of popular podcasts, he's also the host and creator of his own podcast, We Are All In This Together, and previously hosted two internet radio shows. Mike's fifth book, We Are All In This Together, just came out. And during our conversation, we're going to learn more about this latest offering and a whole lot more. So let's get to it. Thank you for making time for this conversation. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, I actually found out about you when a friend of mine sent me uh, The Power of Appreciation TED Talk. So it's been a while since I've known about you. And it was sent to me because at the time I didn't have much self-confidence. So anytime anyone would direct a compliment my way, I would very quickly, like I would try to, with something, some comedy, I would try to deflect the attention. I would try to be all like modest. And he was like, listen to what this guy is saying you're making things very <laughs> awkward they don't have to be so weird and awkward just say thank you and move yeah. on <laughs> i have been following your advice since but i have to say that um that talk was i think one of the more warm you were so vulnerable in that TED talk I, I know people are very candid during those TED talks but still it's it was nice you you it was just refreshing to see someone being so open and candid and making such a vital point it shouldn't have to be made <laughs> the power of appreciation is some, is not exactly an involved concept and yet most of us miss it so it it was a great ted talk thank you so much for doing that it helped me oh you're welcome which makes me want to ask like out of all the content that you've created and you've created a lot of very helpful content uh which one has like most emotional investment for you that's a good question i mean i think you know, that TED Talk on appreciation, gosh, I mean, I, I did that eight years, nine years, eight and a half years ago, I think. Um, it's been a while, yes. But it, it's kind of, it, that one itself sort of encapsulates 
kind of, you know, my sort of origin story of how I got into doing this work with, you know, my, I played baseball and I got injured and, you know, went through that whole experience. And then when my baseball career ended, I realized, oops, I forgot to appreciate it. Like, yeah. and so, I mean, I would say that there's a piece around kind of that talk and that story that I've been sharing some version of that for, you know, 20 plus years that I've been doing it. But I would say, you know, that's probably something that I have quite a bit of emotional investment, as well as my very first book that came out way back in 2007, which is called Focus on the Good Stuff, because those things just in terms of putting things out into the world, I mean, I've, lots has evolved. I've learned lots of things. Life has grown. The world has changed, obviously, in the last few years. But um, and then and then, you know, I've, I've written five books. But it's funny that you asked me. I was just at lunch yesterday with someone that I've recently connected with. And I brought her a copy of my third book, which is called Nothing Changes Until You Do. And I said to her, you know, kind of like you're not supposed to have a favorite kid, like you're not supposed to have a favorite book. But this is my favorite book of all the ones that I've written. And that's just for me, yeah. just because there's a bunch of stories in there that are very real and very personal. And so anyway, I appreciate you asking the question. People don't often ask me, but those are the things when I think of like <laughs> the most emotional investment. Um, it's yeah. that, you know. I think there's obviously with every piece of content that you create, there's always a central theme to it. But I think you managed to pack a lot in all of your content. And with the way you do things, there is such open vulnerability to you that I think that in itself makes a point that, and especially when it's a man doing it, <laughs> when men are that openly vulnerable, I think it contributes massively to creating a better society. I just, I always make a note of that, that always, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for saying that, you know, I mean, on that note though, I would say, I appreciate your acknowledgement. You know, a lot of my work, Krati is focuses on authenticity and vulnerability, like the the topic of that or teaching that. And at the same time, what I learned a long time ago was if I'm going to go out in the world to try to teach certain things or inspire people to be more appreciative or more compassionate or more vulnerable, um, more important than even the concepts is, can I show up that way while I'm doing it? Can I yes, write that way? Can yes. I speak that way? Can I podcast that? Whatever it is. So, it, you know, and and not not in a performative way necessarily, but just, and, and to your point, I mean, I, I'm aware of obviously the fact I'm a man, you know, I happen to be American and white and straight and the, I have these things. I mean, there's people in the world where, you know, you live in India and people listening to us all over the world. So wherever we come from, but I do think there is some value in the world in which we live when maybe we go yes. against some of the norms that we were taught, like men are supposed to be this way and women are supposed to be that way or whatever the case may be. And I'm fortunate in that even with all the challenges I had growing up with my family and my parents split up and my father really struggled with mental illness, my dad and my grandfather were both incredibly emotionally expressive men who hugged me and kissed me and were just that way. And I didn't know, I mean, they, they were strange in their own way. I didn't think that that was one of the things that was strange about them, but I do appreciate it because I just come from a long line of very sort of open-hearted, expressive men in my family. Um, and I'm grateful because I didn't realize until I got older, because I would, if you'd asked me like, my dad wasn't in my life that much. My grandfather wasn't in my life that much. So I didn't feel like I had these awesome sort of male influences. But when I look back at it, I go, oh, actually, they did influence me in these really important ways that I didn't even fully appreciate. Um, and being raised by my mother and my older sister, I also got a lot of really wonderful 
feminine nurturing and support. So those two things really influenced a lot of me and kind of the way that I'm wired and the way that I operate in the world. Yes. And you would think that being authentic, being vulnerable, being expressive would be would come easy to us, considering that it doesn't involve us faking anything or making any extra effort to be right. different from how we actually are. But it's the opposite is true. In fact, self distortion yeah. is what comes naturally to us. It, well, it does. And look, some of it's neurobiological in the sense that like we're wired. Look, even the most positive among us, we actually have a negativity bias in our nervous system, right? To yes. keep us safe, which is important, right? So it's like you run out in the street and you almost get hit by a car when you're little and your mother yells at you or you get scared or you you fall from something or, you know, you burn your hand on the stove or whatever it is, right? And depending on where you live in the world and the, the number of threats that are around, you want to be aware of those physical threats and even emotional threats because it's like, hey, I don't want to put myself in a situation where I could get hurt or I could get killed, right? The problem is, you know, we store all these things in our amygdala and our brain and our nervous system. And then what happens is it's like, you know, you and I are friends when we're kids and you hurt my feelings and I go, okay, I'm never going to do that again. Or I'm never going to say that again. Or I admit something that I don't know, or I share some deep, dark secret with you and you tell someone else because you're a kid and that's what kids do. And then all of a sudden it's like, it's not safe to really be yourself. It's not safe to really express yourself. And so what ends up happening, you know, I have a friend who likes to say, you know, we send our representatives out to go meet with other people's representatives. Yeah. Like that's how we go out in the world. Yeah. And it just ends up causing us a lot of pain and a lot of suffering that we don't necessarily have to endure, but we buy into this notion that we have to, right? Yeah. We, we scroll on Instagram and go, I, I have to look like that. I have to act like that. I have to talk like that. And it's like, but that's not really me. Yes. So, you know, we get all these messages that are confusing. Yeah, and it's almost constant. And it's especially, I think, amplified when we are in our work place, we are in a yep. work environment, because then obviously we're constantly performing. Everything is right. sort of under scrutiny. So I want to ask you, like, do people who obviously want to rise, you know, in their whatever profession they're in, they feel pressure to show up a certain way, which may not be their most authentic self? But they feel it necessary for their growth to do that. Do you think that's healthy? Do you think there is a way to not do that or do that in a healthier way? What are your thoughts on that? Look, I mean, I actually think it's complicated. On the one hand, you know, and most of the people listening to this show and following your work obviously would probably be interested in this notion of like, yes, we should be our authentic self fully, completely in every situation. And yeah. yes, and the reality though is we go into life and particularly work. So whether it's I'm working for a big multinational company, um, whether it's I'm working for a small business or you know a government agency or a nonprofit, whether it is I'm starting my own business yeah. um, or working for a small business, that every group that we're a part of in life, whether it's our family, our community, a workplace, does there are certain cultural norms and expectations of that group, right? Yeah. And the challenge, I think, in life for us as human beings is like, if we're going to be a part of a group, we have to be aware of some of the expectations and norms of the group and decide, do I want to agree with or align with those norms or not? And then how do I be myself in the midst of that environment? And it's challenging because so it's not an either or, it's really a both and type of situation. And so I hear people all the time say, well, you can't really be yourself in the corporate world. You have to quit your corporate job and go do your own thing. And okay. And I understand where that's coming from because oh, yeah. you have to act fake and you have to wear this clo these clothes and say this thing and talk like this. And 
men act this way and women act this way. And if you're in India, it's one way. And if you're in America, it's a, and, and like, and while I understand all of that, and look, I can only speak from my own experience because it's yep. like, I'm only, I've only been me. I've only seen what I've seen. I've actually seen a lot of situations where there are some incredibly authentic, genuine people who work inside of these really big environments that have a lot of different parameters to the culture, so to speak, but they find a way to show up and be themselves. And most of the most successful and influential people that I know and work with in Silicon Valley, in companies in finance or healthcare, all these big industries, they have figured out a way to bring more of their whole selves to work in a way that benefits them. Is it easy? No. Is it tricky sometimes? Yeah. Does it get complicated and confusing? In, and in the last two years, when the only way we've really yeah. been interacting is on Zoom, and you know, of course, it's really complicated. But the truth is, you could be in a job right now in a company and think, I'm selling my soul, and I hate this job, and I can't be myself, and it's terrible. I'm going to quit and go do my own thing. And then realize doing your own thing is not necessarily a guarantee that you're going to be yourself. Because yeah. then all of a sudden, you're like, I'm going to start my own podcast, or I'm going to write a book, or I'm going to start this business where we're going to sell these things. And oh, well, now you have to go out and market, and you have to network, and you have yeah. to go raise money. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, oh, you're back in the same situation where it's like, if I had a hard time being myself working for company X, I'm probably going to still have a hard time being myself working for company Y or starting my own thing. Not that we're not influenced by the environment around us, but we're the common denominator in all the situations and circumstances and relationships in our yeah. lives. So authenticity is really an inside job for us to work on being more and more authentic and then letting that authenticity come out wherever we find ourselves. Okay, so you, you're absolutely right. Like this has become, especially post the pandemic, it's become like a thing where people are just shifting to doing their own thing because they right. want to feel less pressured. Obviously some of it is, you know, the idea that, it's more secure for certain people, I'm sure, but mostly sure. about being your own boss, being allowed yep. to have a wider boundary uh, for certain things. But you're absolutely right. No matter what you do, you will always have to deal with elements that are not so desirable. Like I don't, I've never cared for social media, but social media is very much like it's a huge, huge part of what I do. So I right. had to adapt it to how I want to do things. So yes. is that something you would recommend? Like people, whatever element that is difficult for you to deal with or that sort of makes you step away from your authenticity you adapt it so that the two can go hand in hand yeah absolutely i mean look i think in anything that we do look there's going to be things that we like and there's going to be things that we don't like absolutely. right and i mean if we can set it up so we're doing mostly things that we really like and that are joyful and that bring us a level of fulfillment of course however you know you know this having your own business there are a lot of things like, oh, I got to figure this out. I got to figure this yeah. out. I got to get help with this, or this is really hard. Or wait, I have to like do the bookkeeping and the social media marketing and the back end editing and or whatever it is. And and it's like, you know, I always sort of talk about it even with our we have two daughters who are 16 and 13. And I was like, look, there's always gonna be you got to take out the trash, or in our house, you got to clean the cat litter or whatever, the stuff that you don't like yeah. to do, but it's just part of maintaining the house. And we all have to, you know, pitch in and do those things. And in life, that's just part of the deal. Like my girls have classes they don't like and it's like, okay, and you study those things and you learn that stuff. So you take the test and try to learn it and try to do as well as you can and know that I'm probably not gonna study this subject for the rest of my life. I'm not gonna major in this in college because yeah. it's not my favorite thing, but sometimes learning how to do things that we don't like is important. I think again, back to authenticity, it's like I remember years ago when I first started my business, 
I was like, oh, I'm working for myself. I'm free. I get to do what I want. And then all of a sudden I realized like I didn't want to have a boss anymore. I wanted to be my own boss. But then doing what I do with all these different clients, it was like, oh, now I have like 50 bosses. Yep. Because, right? Like they all have different opinions and they all have different expectations. I'm like, oh, this is actually kind of harder in some ways. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Now I have to figure out how to navigate all those relationships. And so again, in life, when we're talking about work and we're talking about authenticity, it's like, it's also same thing with fulfillment. I mean, look, you might be happier doing one activity versus another or in one company versus another or in one industry versus another. But ultimately, there's a great quote. I think it comes from Ben Franklin, who was one of the founding fathers of the United States. He said, there is no joy in life. It doesn't exist there. Joy exists within us, not in life. So like our job is to bring the joy. Yeah. Right. And you could work somewhere that seems really fun and joyful, quote unquote, on the surface. Like everyone's like, oh, you work there. You work at Google or you work for Disney or whatever. Fill in the blank. Right. Yeah. Or you might have a job where people say, oh, you're, you know, you're a whatever. Someone's you're a sports agent or you, oh, you write books for a living. Oh, that sounds really sexy. And it's like, well, OK, it's as fun as I choose for it to be. <laughs> it's as yeah. joyful as I allow it to be, yes. to be perfectly honest. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of it is not being inauthentic. It's just learning to talk other people's language rather. I think because when I started coaching, I am always been of the mindset that you have to be straightforward. You have to be bluntly honest with people because that's the only way you're going to help them. But if you are dealing with people from different cultures and different walks of life with different situations, life situations, you have to sort of sometimes tone that down, hold pieces of yourself back because they're really are excessive in those situations, in those moments. So I guess a lot of it is just learning. It's just growth, I think. It's not in being inauthentic. It's just learning different languages. Totally. Well, and it's also what you're speaking to, and this is really important. You know this as a coach. It's emotional intelligence, right? So emotional intelligence has two really important components. The first component is self-awareness and self-management. Like, am I aware of myself? What do I need? How do I feel? What are my strengths? What are some of my challenges? You know, and then do I have an ability to manage that? And there's some level of, you know, self, self-awareness, self but also kind of self-mastery. I mean, that's, you know, our meditation practices are even taking care of ourselves physically. What are the things that I need to do to care for myself? And then in any given situation, whether I'm coaching another human being, whether I'm, you know, in a job or I'm working with people, whether I'm creating something, whatever that is, like knowing myself and how I tick what makes me tick, so to speak, and then dealing with that. Then the other component to what you're talking about is also the social awareness and relationship management part of it, meaning, okay, I need to read the room, as we say. I need to read the other person. And again, is it harder to do on the phone or on Zoom than it is if we're sitting in the same room? Sure, but it's still not impossible to do. But it becomes this thing where it's like, and I've learned this over the years because I do a lot of public speaking you know, most of it the last couple of years has been virtually, which has been weird, but yeah. I've learned and adapted. But when I'm in a room of people, whether there's five people or 50 people or 500 people or a thousand people, and sometimes it's people from all over the world and people from different cultures and backgrounds and different levels and different ages and races and genders and right. What I've learned, and this sounds a little strange, but I think most people can relate to it is to listen to the listening, if you will, to kind of get a sense of what's going on in the room not by like reading people's minds, you know, in some, but I can walk into a room and maybe because I've been doing this for so long and it's like, I can be up on stage in front of people 
and I get kind of a collective sense of things that are going on. And I've early on when I was doing this, I thought maybe I'm weird or maybe I'm making this up. But over over the years, it became so. I would I would start telling a story about my dad or about my sister or something, and I'm like, why am I telling this story? That's really strange. Like I'd be thinking that to myself. I wouldn't say that out loud, but I'd tell the story, and then when I'd get done, I'd have dozens of people come. Oh, I'm so glad you told that story about your sister. Yeah. And I'm like, really? Oh, interesting. Maybe there was some kind of intuitive communication going on, if you will. And I think that becomes something, whether we think of ourselves as intuitive or not that becomes something that if we can develop that capacity or trust ourselves enough, yeah, that requires us being present and actually responding to the people in front of us. And what I have found in the course of the pandemic and over the last couple of years doing almost everything exclusively virtually is it's harder to do virtually for me, okay, but still possible. And I've had to really kind of go m even more deeply into some of those like can I read the room when everybody's on Zoom? Yeah. You know, when there's no actual people, you know, and sometimes I'm talking to one person like you and I are, but sometimes I'm literally talking to hundreds, yeah. if not thousands of people. I can't see anyone. There's just names or maybe they're making comments in the chat and it's like, but still trying to tap into that collective. I don't know. I still believe that I can to some degree, even though it's harder and, and I choose to you know, operate from that perspective. Yeah, but it must have taken you so much practice and time to get to this place of almost certainty, I guess, or knowing or at least being able to rely on your uh, intuition, on your senses to know what's, go what's going on. And yes. but I have to ask, like, initially, because as I said, that you bring a certain degree of vulnerability and you make it look easy. But it's not easy. It's never easy to lay bare pieces of your life, especially pieces that are so, so close to your heart. So it must have taken a great deal of courage when you started doing this, when you started being so candid about your stories. What was that like for you? What did you learn from those experiences? And how did you feel like, especially the first time you did it, I, I that must have been hard. What was that like? Well, I think for me, it started more on a personal level, like going to therapy, talking more openly about myself, being in situations where I was in kind of workshops or environments where I found if I told my story, if I shared some of my fears or I shared some of my struggles or some of my pain, not again, not performatively, not trying to do it to get attention, which right. we always have to be careful because that can get a lot of attention. I mean, even just think it's like you can go on social media and share something that really bad that happened and you will often get a lot more response than if you share yep. something really good, right? That said, what I started to notice early on in my life as I, or, you know, and then when in my career, when I started doing this work is there was this weird concept that became abundantly clear to me. That's like, oh, the more personal, the more universal. Right. So if I talked more in generalities because it was safer and I wasn't really disclosing anything too vulnerable or personal about myself to where people might think I'm weird or judge me or whatever. I found that it didn't connect with people as much. Yeah. So if I lowered the waterline a little bit more on the iceberg, as I like, it's one of the metaphors I use when I'm talking about vulnerability. What I found was, yeah, it was scary. Yeah, it was. It took some courage. Yeah, they might. I'm afraid people are going to laugh or turn away or think, well, "Why are you saying that?" Or you're not supposed to say that out loud. It would. I, I would feel liberated even in the fear, but then inevitably there would be so many people that would say, "Oh, yeah, I can relate to that." Yeah, And it just became, whether they said it out loud or I could just feel it, it's like one of the things that I teach about vulnerability, I know to be true, is that the natural human response to vulnerability is empathy. Right. 
And when you and I are being vulnerable in life, it feels really scary, right? Because someone yes. could take advantage of us. Someone could laugh yeah. at us. Someone could use it against us, right? And those things happen. So we need to be mindful of that. And I don't, I don't recommend being completely vulnerable in every situation with every person because sometimes it's not safe. Sometimes that's not a good idea. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like when I just, I mean, even just think of it physically, like when I get in my car, I put on my seatbelt. Of course. You know, when I go out in the world these days, even though now we're getting to a better place with COVID, like I put on a mask or I stay away from people because like I trust the world and I trust the universe, but I also am aware I could get sick or I could get in a car accident or right. So again, having both of those things and same thing when I go out into the world. Now, granted, I'm vulnerable in a way where I'll write and speak and share it in ways when you put stuff out into the world you know, on a podcast or on social media or in a TED talk or in, you don't know who's going to see it or read it or hear it and what they're going to do with it. So there does have to be some level of faith and trust that you have. You know, people will say not, I mean, I don't get a lot of this, but people will say nasty things. If you yeah. go through all the comments on my TED talks, there'll be people that comment on my appearance or comment on, oh, this guy's an idiot or he seems weak or I hate him or whatever. And oh, I mean, that's out there for the world to see. I have to just figure out how I look at those things and not take them personally because I'm like, that person doesn't know me. Yeah. At the same time, though, what I've learned is that if I'm willing to take the risk and if all of us are willing to take the risk, not just doing it publicly, but even personally, if we're willing to take the risk of the discomfort, what can happen is it can free us up. It can also build more trust and connection with other human beings. And it creates an opening and a space for other people that they may or may not step into, but they can. Yes. Yes. Right. And that's really important. I say to leaders all the time in businesses, it's like, if you want the people on your team to open up to you and tell you what's really going on and how they feel, you have to go first because you're the big, scary boss person, right? They're not yeah, going to open yeah. up until they know it's safe to. And if you go first and say, here's what's going on with me, they're like, oh, okay. I can do that too. But if you don't yeah. and you have it all together all the time and you always have the right answer and you never make a mistake and you never get nervous and you never have a m bad moment, like then they're going to feel like I have to be perfect all the time because that's how he is or that's how she is. Yeah. Yeah. I have so many questions here, but let <laughs> me like <laughs> take up the last point that you made about leaders. Yes. But I feel like we, since considering how much the team relies on the leader, the, yes. the captain, so to say, who's steering yep. that ship, I think we expect our leaders to not be as emotional as we are because then we sort of feel threatened, like the yep. person that's steering the ship isn't as steady. Yes. Insert, but at the same time, as you said, if the person is so stoic or if they're so well put together, then the rest of us feel pressure to be just as well put together. Yes. So it's, it's a difficult it's a, balance. It's a balance. Well, think of it like this. It's kind of like a couple analogies. And you're right. It's a balance for all of us as leaders in whatever capacity. I think of this like in my family, right? With my wife and I, and we have two girls who are 16 and 13, as I said. We try to be really open with our girls. Um, right. We try to be emotionally open, emotionally available and share and talk about things, not just for them, but even for us. I want them to know as much as, possible about me as a human being, not just as their dad. I don't want them to look at me and think, well, dad's just, you know, he does never gets nervous or he never, right? So I talk to them. Sometimes I'll say, you know, I'm really scared about this thing and I'm going to do it anyway, or I really screwed this thing up, but I figured it out or I learned something or I had this meeting today and it didn't go well. I like to actually share those things as much as, hey, this thing happened that was awesome or whatever. However, there are certain conversations that my wife and I do not have with our teenage daughters because they're, they're not appropriate. A, they're still teenagers and they're our kids and they live in our house. And B, we don't want to scare the, you know what, out of them. 
right? When things are happening and my wife and I are not sure what to do or decisions to make, whether it's financial or relational or whatever, like we're not consulting with our teenage daughters about how to make those decisions because that would freak them out. That's like handing my 13 year old the keys to the car and saying, drive us, you know, to Los Angeles. And she's like, dad, I don't know how to drive yet. You know, um, the, another analogy I'll use is the airplane. There are cockpit conversations and then there are loudspeaker conversations. Like yeah. we want the pilot yeah. to tell us, hey, you know, it's going to take us this long to get there. Or, oh, hey, we're going to hit some bumps or, hey, the weather's gotten a little weirder. Sorry for the delay. Here's what's going on. We want transparent information about what's happening. Yeah. We don't want to know if the pilot is really scared to take the flight. Right. right. We don't want him to come on and say, this is my very first flight. I'm really nervous and I hope it goes okay because <laughs> that's going to freak us all out. But however... I hope if that's true, the other people in the cockpit know that and he can say that or she can say right. that to them and say, hey, this is my first flight or we just had a weird thing happen last week. So I'm still a little rattled from that. Like they know that so they can support each other and fly the plane effectively. We don't need to know that because I'm sitting back in the 48th row drinking my drink and hoping to get there on time. I don't need to know that things are really bad in the cockpit unless it really relates to me. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. So would it be okay to say, like, if you are in a leadership capacity in your work environment, it is okay for you to have trusted confidants, maybe people yeah. who are on the immediate next level, perhaps? Totally. I, I think it's like, it's like, look, and, and it's a, it, the, that analogy fall, breaks down a little bit in the sense that, like, you want to be able to talk to your peers and your own manager as openly as possible. With the team that you manage, you want to be able to show up as a real human being, yeah. vulnerable, flawed, imperfect, be able to share if, if you're, you know, some people are more private than others. So, but if you, sh- you can share about your life, your family, whatever, when it comes to ultimately like making decisions and like taking the team in a certain direction, there is a certain element of understanding the role that you have, right? Again, back to the parent right. analogy, like my girls need to know that I'm a real human being and I don't have all the answers and I'm not perfect. And this is my first time raising 16 and 13 year olds, especially in the middle of a pandemic, like give me a break. But at the same time, they need to trust that their dad is like, can figure some stuff out and is going to be able to protect them and provide for them. Otherwise they're like, "Uh, what are we doing here? Who's in charge of this thing? You know what I mean? So again, it's, it's a, it's a tricky balance, but I also believe that it's important for us in life, whatever the roles that we play to have safe spaces where we really can lower the waterline as much as possible and just be real human beings. And I've seen over the course of my career and working with a lot of really effective leaders, there are moments in time, this goes back to the emotional intelligence and reading the room where a leader could stand up in front of his or her team and just say, you know what? I don't really know what we're supposed to do right now. This is really hard. We'll figure it out, but I'm scared. That actually can inspire and empower the team. There are other moments where saying that exact same thing, even if it's true, could freak everyone out to the point where it's not going to be productive. And you as a leader have to know both what's true for you, again, self-awareness, self-management, but social awareness and relationship management, what's going to fire up the team right now, what's going to help them. I come from the world of sports, right? And sometimes a coach, a really good sports coach, will yell and scream at the team, will like throw something in the locker room and make a big production on purpose, trying to motivate the team. That may not be normal behavior in life. You wouldn't walk around like banging things and yelling at people in normal life. People would like put you in jail. But there are moments when if a good coach really knows his or her team and knows this is what they need right now, I'm going to yell at them in service of trying to really rattle them so that they dig deeper and play better. You know, and sometimes they screw it up. And I had some great coaches and I had some terrible coaches, but that goes back to trusting ourselves, trusting our intuition, 
showing up authentically and then understanding the roles that we play and the impact we have on each other. Yeah. But I have to ask you, this is a question I didn't intend to ask you, but I can't help but bring it up because you clearly are super qualified to answer this. <laughs> for like I feel this concern for a lot of people when they are, you know, finally ready to show up as they are and be vulnerable, share their story. But a lot of the time you yes, empathy is the most natural instinctive response to vulnerability, but that doesn't always happen. Mm -hmm. A lot of the time people are just very cruel. Yes. In situations like that, how is there something you can share that can help people cope so that they don't shut down and that's not the last time they allow their authentic self to show up? Well, look, it's a, I think it's really important. I'm glad you bring this up. Because one of the things, I'll give you an example of this. A few, few years ago, I spoke at an event. We talked all about authenticity and vulnerability. And this woman comes up to me after and she says, oh, it's a, so thank you so much. I, I'm, I'm interviewing for a job here internally. I want, you know, and I really want this job. And I, I just listened to you and I got this. I'm going to just be myself. I'm just going to show up and I'm going to be real. I'm going to be vulnerable. Great. I hope it goes well. I talked to her a little bit. You know, she, we exchange information. She follows up with me a couple of weeks later and she says, I didn't get the job. It didn't go well. Right. And she said, I think I was too vulnerable. And then she goes through this whole thing and telling me I shouldn't have said this. And I should, you know, she did the thing that we all do when we go for something and we yeah. don't get it. And what I said to her, I said, first of all, I'm sorry you didn't get the job. I know you really wanted it. I said, look, you are allowed to respond to this in any way that's most appropriate for you. And if you are deciding that I was too real, I was too vulnerable, I shouldn't have done that. It didn't work. They gave the job to someone else. It Look, you're going to figure that out for yourself. But the question I have for you is, were you proud of how you showed up in that interview? Separate from knowing what the outcome was, how did you right. feel about yourself in the moment and afterwards? And she said, I felt great. And I was really proud of myself. And I, and I said, that's actually more important in my opinion than whether you got the job or not. Now, I'm not saying that getting the job isn't a big deal one way or the other. But the thing about it is if we turn vulnerability into a technique, it stops being authentic, right? right? As soon as we start doing it, now it's an act. And so I say that because the nature of vulnerability is it's risky, yeah. right? Von vulnerability, Brene Brown, who's studied vulnerability for a couple of decades, defines vulnerability as risk, emotional exposure, and uncertainty. So by their nature, those three things, risk, emotional exposure, and uncertainty, sometimes in life, when you're vulnerable, people are going to be cruel. Sometimes in life, when you're vulnerable, you will get hurt. Sometimes in life, when you're vulnerable, it will get used against you. Sometimes in life, when you're vulnerable, you're going to fall flat on your face and hurt yourself really bad. Does that mean we should never be vulnerable? No, it's just that's what happens in life. It's kind of like someone coming to me and saying, Mike, I really want to get married. I really want to fall in love, but I don't want to get hurt. And my response will be, well, sorry, doesn't work that way. If you really want to fall in love, you're going to have to be willing to get hurt because that's part of the deal that you make. And even if you fall in love and you get married and you have babies and you live whatever happily ever after is at some point along the way, and I've now been together with my wife for 21 years, like you will still get hurt. You will get disappointed. You will have moments where it's like, and it's scary because as a mentor of mine said, you know, one of the things about falling in love is when you really meet someone and fall in love and it gets to that deep place, all the fears start to vanish all the, a lot of the insecurity, a lot of, well, they like me, but one fear never goes away. And in fact, it only gets worse, which is the fear of loss. Yes. Because yes. what if this person goes away? What if this person leaves me? What if this person dies? And he said, and there's no way to get away from that. The only thing you can do is just feel that fear, take a deep breath and keep loving anyway.
And so by its nature, the most vulnerable things in life are often the things that are most important. So I say all of that because it's like, look, there will be people, yeah, the natural human response to vulnerability is empathy. And the more superficial reaction can sometimes be judgment or shame or ridicule or opportunistically using it against us or all the things that can happen to us. And so what I say to people who have negative experiences with vulnerability, which by the way, we all do, is that's why it's about being mindful and being discerning. Right. So I don't, I don't walk around in life with my waterline down 100% of the time. Now, I am oriented more towards vulnerability just in general. And it's not that I don't care what you or anyone else thinks of me. I've just built up enough reserve that the muscle is stronger for me than it was when I was younger of worrying so much about other people's opinions. Now, that's not to say I can get a comment or a piece of feedback or whatever, and it can level me sometimes. But I try to also then remind myself and other people, like, it's okay to have your feelings get hurt. It's okay to get upset by something that someone does or says. Like, I'd rather live as a passionate, sensitive, emotional human that I am than trying to be stoic and like, you know, carry around the 50-ton shield that we think protects us, but ultimately only weighs us down. Yeah, that makes that was so powerful. And I think understanding the the value of it, why you are actually doing this, it's not for anyone else's benefit, it's for your own benefit and how you feel about yourself post that moment. If you can really understand that, grasp that, I think that would be very helpful and that would carry you through those moments, those difficult moments. Yeah. Well, and it's also, you know, one of the big things for me with this, Krati, is, look, as a kid, so I grew up in a way where, you know, my parents got divorced when I was three. I was raised by my mom. My older sister was a big influence on me. But I spent a lot of my young life, especially as a little boy and then as a teenager and then as a young man, like I really thought something was wrong with me. I thought I was really weird because, again, I was, I was, I was really emotional. I was really sensitive. I had this influence of my father, my grandfather, as I said, even though they weren't around my life, I was just, I cried a lot. I just had a lot of emotions a lot of time. I was, but I was good at sports. So I was like a boy that could play sports, but I was like scared of a lot of things. I was insecure about a lot of things. And I didn't see any other boys yeah. talking about that. So I just thought I was crazy, right? I mean, the, the girls would talk about it a little bit because it seemed a little safer if you were a girl to admit certain things than if you were a boy, right? Right. But even still with the girls, I could also see and being around my sister and my mom, I was like, ooh, it's really unfair. The girls get treated really unfairly compared to the boys, but there's a different set of rules that the girls and the boys get to operate by. And I actually personally kind of liked the girls' rules a little bit better, at least emotionally and socially. But I also liked some of the boys' rules because I was like, oh, it seems like it's unfair and it's skewed. So there was all that going on. But underneath it all, what I had this, and I also grew up in a really diverse place. I grew up in Oakland, California, near San Francisco, which is incredibly racially diverse. So even as a white kid, it was like there were, you know, black kids and Asian kids and Latino kids and kids from like lots of different cultural backgrounds. And even my parents, my dad was Jewish and my mom was right. Catholic. And so I had all this like difference of different stuff going on. But I had this really strong desire as a kid I just wanted to connect with other kids and other people. And I didn't come from a really big family. But so I say all of that because what I would notice is certain things seemed kind of universal to me, like certain emotions, like everyone seemed to get sad and everyone seemed to get happy at times. Everyone seemed to get angry. Everyone seemed to get excited or scared or scared. And I was like, oh, these things, like the emotions to me started to seem like that seems, even if you and I are different races or different genders or different backgrounds, like 
everybody gets sad. Everybody gets excited. Everybody feels joy. Everybody feels anger. You know, and then I was like, I didn't, I couldn't have articulated this way as a child or even as a teenager, but like, and I say all that because like, like the most recent book that I wrote is called We're All in This Together. And so much of my work around vulnerability and authenticity is coming to a place of where is that universal humanness where we can all connect. Right. And, and, and again, like, I don't know anybody that hasn't experienced grief. I don't know anybody that hasn't experienced joy. I don't know anybody that hasn't experienced, you know, sadness, anger, loss, gratitude, excitement, all these things. And it's like, oh, those are the things that are universal. And so how do we find, so for me, when I get scared or I'm in a situation where it's like, oh, should I really tell the truth here? Should I really tell this story? Should I really open up or not? What I try to remember, and this was one of my techniques years ago when I first started public speaking, was that everyone sitting in the room, as nervous as I was when I'd get up there in front of them, I would think to myself, you know what? I bet they'd be nervous too if they were up here. Yeah. So maybe the scared part of me that's worried about them judging me or thinking I'm weird or thinking I'm stupid or whatever, worried I'm going to forget what I'm going to say, maybe that scared part of me can connect with the scared part of them and we can talk to each other. Right. Does that make right. sense? And then when I would do that, then all of yeah. a sudden I'm like, oh, we're all scared. It's okay. Like we're all human. It's okay. Like it was just that sense of sort of calming myself down. But as weird as that might sound, that's kind of how I try to operate in the world, if you will, that it's like everybody's yeah. got stuff going on. And especially, geez, this last two years, oh my gosh, all the stuff that all we've all been dealing with. Like, I'm just fascinated by human beings and both people's joy and people's pain. And I feel like if we can allow ourselves to open up about those things, we don't have to be so ashamed of them or worried about them. Your version of it looks different than my version, but I bet they have similar flavors to them, if you will. You know what I mean? You are absolutely right. I mean, uh, that's exactly how it is. Like if you can identify, and also I think it helps when you think about the fact that Yes, like what you're feeling, those emotions are shared by the other person. And it, maybe if you go get through with this, get through with this moment, reach the other side and make it look good, you are encouraging so many other people to do the same. You're opening up this whole space and inviting people. Totally. Yeah. Well, and you know, you know, it's funny you say that too, because so I remember one of the things for me when I first started doing my work years ago, you know, as as essentially, you know, a motivational speaker, I, I remember thinking. I'm not that funny. Like I need to tell jokes. Isn't that what you do? You tell jokes, you make people laugh. That's the thing. And I'm like, but I, but I'm definitely not a comedian yeah. and I don't really know how to tell a joke or write a joke or how that would even work. But what I started to notice, and, and this is relevant to what we were just talking about. When I would go speak or I would lead a workshop or I was with people, people would laugh sometimes. And sometimes they'd be laughing more. And I'm like, that's interesting. Cause I'm not really telling jokes. I don't think I'm that funny. What is that? And I realized that there's something that we call the laughter of recognition when you say something about right. some sort of universal truth, it makes people laugh, right? Because they can relate to it. And so I say that because one of the things that I've learned how to do over the course of my life is to tell stories or share my own experience in a way, again, the more personal, the more universal. So it's not to talk about myself just to talk about myself, but I know if I share truthfully my own experience, even if you have a different experience than me or you have a different opinion, you'll still probably be able to relate to something about it. I was with a group just a couple of weeks ago and like many groups that I work with in the business world, this was, this was their first offsite together in person in forever, right? Some of them had never even met, right? Yeah. 
And we all got together and I sat and the first thing that I did was just tell the story of how I was feeling that morning going to the event, which was both excited and nervous because I was like, I had to put on pants and I had to put on shoes and I wasn't in my sweats. And I was like, I want to be here, but now I want to go home and I want to be on Zoom and I want to get in front of the TV and turn on Netflix. And everyone just started laughing. And it wasn't that I was telling this hilarious story like a comedian. I was just yeah. telling the truth of my experience and other right. people could relate. Do you know what I mean? And so I yeah. think sometimes realizing that, again, we are so different and unique and that's beautiful. And like you and I live in different countries and halfway around the world and we have different backgrounds and cultures and all kinds of differences between the two of us. And we've never met before this and we're just looking at each other on a screen in this moment. But I, what I know to be yeah. true about you is that like there's so much about you that universally is so similar to me because we share yes. the same humanness. <laughs> Right? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I'll share here that ever since I started doing this podcast, like I think I ha didn't have friends growing up. I didn't have friends for the first 21 years of my life till I went abroad for my mm. studies. So I obviously grew up feeling like I don't mm. belong. I'm clearly on the wrong planet and all of those things. But when I started doing the podcast, I'm like at least a good 70 to 80% of the guests who've been here, just like yourself, they're like, we were weirdos. We never fit <laughs> in. We were all, we always felt judged. And I'm like, this is everyone. And then I started taking on clients and started take, talking to people at volunteer uh, NGOs and all of that. So, so a variety of people, really. People from all walks of life, different cultures and all. Same thing, again we didn't belong. We never had a sense of belonging. We felt judged. And I'm like, this is everyone's right. story. It is amazing. Well, it is amazing too. Cause even with that, you know, it's so interesting. I mean, having two adolescents in my house right now and watching the teenage thing. And, and of course, when you have kids at any age, it's tr interesting and exciting and tricky. And then it brings back all these memories and experience. What was I like at that age? And the funny thing is I had the simultaneous experience as a kid and as a teenager growing up, like I didn't feel like I fit in and I felt weird. However, I also was pretty social and was relatively popular. So I did have friends, but I would say this about it. It felt really scary because I knew the whole time that I was acting. I knew the whole time that it right. wasn't real because I learned how to, just like it's like I learned in school how to pay attention enough so I could get a good grade. But I, and I say this, I don't mean to sound, I wasn't, that smart and I wasn't that studious. Like I didn't study so well that I just knew it all. I just knew how to play the game well enough and do just enough and use whatever intelligence I had to get a good grade. Right. I knew how to make friends as like a skill, but it always felt like a performance. Right. And underneath it, I was like, if they really knew me, they would think I was weird and crazy and like they wouldn't be my friend. So I had to learn how to keep a lot of that stuff inside. But that actually led me ultimately to the work in the sense that when I started to tell the truth more about how I really felt, what I found was the friends that I made were much better friends. And we were more connected as real humans because I wasn't acting and pretending to be a certain way. I was being yeah. myself and they liked me anyway. And I was like, oh, I like that better because now I can trust that these are real friends and real relationships. I don't have to perform. I get to just be me. And that's one yeah. of the things I often say is that like real relationships don't require us to perform for each other. They just require us to be with each other. Real teams yeah. don't perform for each other. They work with each other. And that's yeah. the difference is the authenticity. 
Yes, you're right. And sometimes self-acceptance is actually born out of somebody else accepting us as we are, which allows us to feel more accepting of our own yeah. imperfections, if that's how we see them. Totally. And gives us permission. Yeah, you, you know, you've like you without trying, you've made a really good point here. If you are a parent, your children are watching you. How yes. you do things, they're watching you. And I really hope if there are, you know, listeners who are parents, they remember that you need to show up a certain way so that your children have permission to be their whole self so that they never ever hide like little pieces of themselves and get so used to that mask that they forget who they really are underneath that it's true and and i would say this from my own experience of parenting and oh geez parenting has been such an amazing and challenging growth experience for me i mean and especially these last couple of years parenting teenagers and doing it at this time but there is an element too that like they are watching and there's a lot of investment i think that we make early when our kids are babies and toddlers and yo very young because as they get to adolescence and then past i'm only we're only up to 16 and 13 so i can't speak from experience past that point right but there's so many other influences on them when they become teenagers and the world in which we live and the phones that they carry and all of the inputs they're getting that and you know and then our older daughter's going to leave home here in two and a half years and go off to school and and you just hope and pray that you know you put enough good stuff in there and there's enough love and but so much of i think what influences children whether they're our own children or others is the modeling of people around us and the truth is in the yes. in the real world in the adult world in the business world in the life we still really influence each other and as much or more by the things that we do than by the things that we say and I say this all the time to leaders, like there's no insignificant acts when you're a leader because people are paying attention to right. you all the time, how you deal with stress, how you communicate, how inclusive or non-inclusive you are, you know, how you reward people, how you deal with crisis and challenge, how you deal with disappointment. All those things are less about whatever you pontificate on and they just watch how you show up and go, oh, I saw what she did there. I saw what he did there. I saw what he values and those, you know, those things come out. Right. And I have to ask you, like, this is something that I struggle with. So for me, authenticity is a lot about integrity. Like, yes. I want people who are paying me, people who are giving me their time, in whatever way they're investing in me, they, I need them to know me as I am. Yes. But I think there has to be a certain degree of intentionality to your uh, interactions. Yes. Personal interactions and your uh, professional interactions as well. How do we like balance those because I think intentional intentionality when you are able to bring that forward you are able to create a more secure environment so how do we do that yeah well look I, th I think you're right I mean I think intentionality is really important I think what we have to be mindful of though like a lot of things you and I've been talking about here it's it's a balance kind of between the yin and the yang between the the masculine and the feminine energy it's the balance between intentionality for sure which can create you know some sense of integrity boundary um and you know leaving space for that authenticity that vulnerability that spontaneity that intuition so that it's both because intentionality without authenticity turns into transactional type relationships right, right. and th and look there's a lot of transactional relationships we have in life and people talk about that in a very sort of pejorative or negative way and that's okay as long as we're aware of it and so I think sometimes when I hear people talk about sort of being intentional in their interactions, it, it makes me cringe just a little bit only because it's like, okay, as long as you're being real, 
you can be real and intentional. You can be genuine and intentional together. And that's a great combination. But without the genuineness, without the authenticity, without the vulnerability, the intentionality can become either controlling or dominating or just very transactional that it's like, well, she's got an agenda, which is fine, but it's like, you're just moving through your agenda. And that's the thing is in life, what we have to remember though, too, if again, if you and I have a relationship, whether it's a personal or a professional one, our priorities are not always going to be aligned and that's okay. Right. Of course. But it's yeah. like, I learn this every day with my wife and I love Michelle and we've been together for all these years, but like the things that are important to her on a daily basis aren't always the same things that are important to me and vice versa. And we love each other. So we have to navigate through that. So it's like, I could be super intentional with my wife, but what that can turn into if I'm not careful is like, I'm now controlling and dominating and, and driving the agenda, which I can sometimes do because my personality is pretty intense and loud and right. So I have to be mindful of the fact of, oh, wait a second, babe, what are you wanting right now? What's important to you? Right. Right. You know, so we have to be able to be somewhat malleable and flexible even in our intentionality. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. Everything you've shared is just, I think it's easy to process considering though this is a fairly heavy and I think we get very defensive anytime the subject comes up because right. we start to sort of examine our own behavior. Right. Uh, but this helps. Like every, the way you've shared everything is helpful. It's one of the reasons why I wanted to do this with you. <laughs> Thank you. But I also want to know about the book because that book is so well-timed considering what we're going through right now. Yes. It could not have come out at a better time. So I want to know about that. Yes. I also want to know about any resources you want to recommend that apart from the resources that you have created, because I'm going to share all of them with my listeners, yep. but any other resources that have helped you? Well, about the book. So yeah, so, so this most recent book of mine is called We're All in This Together. Now, the truth is I wrote this book and finished the manuscript in 2019 and turned it into my publisher. And it was scheduled to come out right. in the spring of 2020, which it did. And the title is We're All in This Together, right? So the, I finished the book. The book's about to come out. The pandemic hits and takes over the world and flips all of our worlds completely upside down. And then everybody is using this phrase, we're all in this together, we're all in this together. But the book's not about the pandemic. The book's really about, you know, again, it's about teamwork. It's about authenticity. It's about how we find common ground with each other and create environments that are inclusive and where people can be vulnerable, all the stuff we're talking about. And so it's been interesting the last two years, I've been talking about this idea and, you know, the paperback of the book is now coming out, um, just as, as this episode's being released. And what I did is I actually wrote a new preface for the paperback edition with my, some of my reflections over the last two years. And one of the biggest reflections that I had is people started asking me this question early in the pandemic. Are we really all in this together? Because it kind of doesn't seem like it, actually. It seems like we're more yeah. separated than ever. We're all stuck at home or I'm talking to leaders who are having to like lay their people off because they weren't sure if the business or we're, like we were having so much social and political unrest here in the US and in so many places around the world. And, and a lot of that still exists. And there's all this divisiveness and and what became clear to me, it's more like we're all in the same storm, but we're in different boats, which is kind of always true, but has been really true in the last couple of years. And it's then the yeah. challenge, I think, for us as human beings, as you and I've been talking about in different ways, is like, how do I take care of what's going on in my own boat, myself, my family, the people close to me? And like, right, if, if the boat's got holes in it or we're taking on water, like we can't really focus on much else but that. But at the same time, how do I look around and pay attention to what's going on in the boats of the people around me? 
and connect yeah. in authentic ways. And so yes. a lot of my work in this book in particular, you know, you asked me at the beginning of our conversation, like content that I've created that's really important to me. This one's really important to me and special to me in a certain way because I actually didn't even want to write this book. I was busy. I had just finished another book and it, but the idea came to me almost as like an intuitive download and I had to write this book and it had to come out when it came out. And I've actually been really grateful to be having these conversations over the last couple of years around this idea of being in it together, because at its core, all of my work kind of comes down to the paradoxical nature of, yes, we're in it together. And yes, we all are super unique and diverse and have our own challenges. And both of those things can exist at the same time. And part of our challenge, I think, in the world right now, too, is how do we make our way through this incredibly diverse, complex world and simultaneously remember we belong to each other and we're connected to each other universally? A lot of the podcast guests also bring up the fact that we are actually one. Like we... Yes. we constantly feel the isolation but we're actually one but that's yeah. not all that easy to understand especially when you look outside and you see people going like being so mean to each other and treating each other right. so badly i think this book is going to help a lot it's going to be in a lot of gift baskets i think <laughs> ah, well thank you i appreciate it um and in terms of resources you know oh gosh um there's so many things. I mean, you know, I, you found me and you saw my TED Talk. I watch TED Talks all the time. I listen to podcasts like yours all the right. time. You know, there's a bunch that I love. I'm a big fan of Brene Brown's work has had a big impact on my life and my work. I'm a big fan of uh, Glennon Doyle, who's actually a friend of mine. People who are out there in the world that are truth tellers, that are talking about some hard things, but doing it in a way that's accessible and bringing people together. Uh, there's a guy here in the U.S. named Van Jones, who I really like, who talks about political things, but his podcast actually brings people from different political persuasions together to talk about hard issues. And I get really excited about those kind of things because, right. you know, and then on a personal level, I mean, just my meditation practice and my journaling practice and, you know, constantly listening to things that open me up, not just mentally and emotionally, but spiritually, like that's always been at the core of who I am. Um, and it keeps me grounded because, you know, not like I don't have my bad moments or tough times, but if I'm not sort of, you know, managing my own boat, right? I'm not good for anybody else. Of course. Yeah. I'm going to make sure to share all of these. Uh, I, my last question to you is yes. uh, if you were only allowed to give one advice to all your listeners and nothing else, what would that one advice be? Be kind to yourself. Because, you know, we don't really see other people as they are. We see them as we are. So the kinder and more compassionate, more loving we are towards ourselves, that allows us to be authentically kind and compassionate and loving towards other people. That was the amazing Mike Robbins. If you want to know more about our guest or you want to explore the resources mentioned during the episode, the links will be in the episode description. If you want to dive into similar content, you can find it on my website, kratimera.com. And if you found today's episode entertaining, inspiring, educational, I will appreciate it if you please rate and review the show on iTunes and share the episode on Instagram. It will help the show grow and reach a wider audience. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed creating it. Now I'll be back next week. Till then, please do take care of yourself. <laughs>